Thank you for downloading this episode of Folk on Foot. Before we start, I just wanted to share a brief message. If you like what we do, we really need your support to keep going. You can join our wonderful band of members and you'll get great rewards. These include access to our amazing Folk on Foot on Film archive of hundreds of songs shot on location on our travels around the UK and Ireland. To sign up, just go to folkonfoot.com slash support us. You'll also get an ad-free version of all our episodes and an email postcard from me each time we go on a walk. If you just want the ad-free version, it'll cost you £3 a month and you can get it through your Apple Podcast app or at folkonfoot.com slash support us. Finally, if you don't want to make a regular commitment but do want to show how much you love us, you can simply buy us a coffee. You can also do that at folkonfoot.com slash support us. Every penny we get goes back into making more episodes of Folk on Foot. So thank you and enjoy the walk. I have to say, I find myself really drawn to places that seem like you can't go on any further, places where you're at the edge of the land. And I heard that there was this album called Edge of the Land by a guitarist and songwriter and singer called Katie Spencer. And it was set in East Yorkshire, where she comes from. So I thought, well, let's go and meet her. And she said, I'm going to take you to the most extraordinary landscape. Katie, good morning. What an amazing place you have brought us to. Just just tell me where I am. <laughs> good morning. It's a treat to be here. We're on the Spurn Point, which is the peninsula that kind of wraps around the mouth of the Humber estuary. So when we're looking down the peninsula, we have uh, the North Sea on our left and the River Humber on our right. And it's a very special kind of ever-changing place. We're just going to go over the wash in a moment. So the peninsula has been breached now. Yes. So we could get cut off if we're not careful. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yes. Yeah. So it is at some time <laughs> separated from the mainland and becomes an island. That's right, yeah, and that's quite a recent change. I think it got breached in December 2013. It's quite a different place compared to when I was a kid coming here on days out, you know, so that's one of the things I love about it, that it is different. And it's just the most spectacular vista here because there are lots of sand flats on the shore in front of us. I think the tide must be out, but you can see the industrial landscape over on the far side and you can see a big ship there too on the Humber and there are wind turbines and there's a lighthouse. Would that lighthouse be an objective for us on our walk? Do you think we could walk to that? Yeah, I think that would be a, a great ending point. It's a special place, just right near the end there, in fact. Let's get going. Mm. 
So when did you first come here? I first came here when I was very young, I think probably about eight years old. It was actually a destination that my, my mum used to come to on holiday. I think one of her grandparents had a caravan on the coast there, which has probably since disappeared, but just really fell in love with it because it, it you know, it's obviously like nowhere else had been before and, and it feels very kind of eerie at times. You know, this is a beautiful sunny day today, so we're seeing it in, in a great light, but sometimes it can be quite, quite spooky. Do people live on this little spit of land going out into the sea? Well, not anymore, but it's got an interesting history. There are a group of monks who essentially founded a place called Wycombe Hull, just further up into the river there, and that then became Kingston-upon-Hull years later. They basically realised how important it was for the, the Humber to become this kind of international shipping route, you know. That meant that they needed a lighthouse on here, so I think there's been a lighthouse on Spain since 13th century. And that would have been a staffed lighthouse? Yeah, and so people have lived on here for centuries with people kind of looking after the lighthouse right up until the 60s and 70s. There's been a strange kind of community living here for, for quite some time, although the recent changes in the kind of geology of the place have meant that people have to move off and it, it was deemed kind of unfair to make people kind of live in such a remote place. Well, I was reading that the peninsula is actually moving because of erosion mm. about six feet a year, which is a rather scary thought if you wanted to live on it. That's right, yeah. I mean, we'll see later on that they actually built a railway on Spain to um, transport goods, including huge rocks that they, they tried to kind of use to shield the land from the sea somewhat. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting place for thinking about the relationship that people have with this kind of wild landscape. You know, you try and tame it, but it's, it's kind of impossible. And because it is shifting so much with the, the boulder clay just being dragged away all the time, you know. And there's a funny story about um, a lieutenant in the First World War. He came down here and he decided it was a good idea to bring his very swish, fancy sports car with him. And they actually fitted railway wheels to this sports car. And it proved to be an amazing thing because they ended up using it for about, I think, 30 years, trying to transport things up and down Spain, which is quite a funny thought, <laughs> That's really. an extraordinary image, that, isn't it? <laughs> we're actually on the beach now. We're, we've got sand underfoot and pebbles, which is making walking more challenging in a way. But I wonder if you might sing a song, because I think you've written a song inspired by this place. Yeah, that's right. I've written a song called The Edge of the Land, which is the title track to my second album that was out last year. It's really inspired by this landscape and that feeling of being at the edge and how that kind of informs people's lives around here and the relationship that we have with the landscape. It was initially a song that I was asked to write by a festival that's held in Hull every year called the Freedom Festival. 
they asked me to kind of celebrate the city, but also to think about its kind of maritime connections. I remember sort of feeling quite daunted, you know, by, by the thought of trying to fit in so many memories and feelings into a song, but it ended up being a really wonderful thing. I sort of used the, this jumping off point of this beautiful book of photographs by Faye Godwin. She created this collection called The Edge of the Land and uh, she came to Spurn and took some beautiful photographs and quite brutal actually. I mean, you can imagine how bleak this could be on a cold, wet That's right. day. And, and again, that thing of being on the edge of the land, that sense of we've reached the edge, there's no further that we can go here. We've got the sea on our left and the Humber on our right and we're on a very narrow spit of land. This would be a lovely place, so there's actually the edge of a, a road here that's collapsed into the, into the beach. This would be a lovely place for you to sing if you wouldn't mind. Wonderful, yeah.
First I thought that, that that was a seal, but it's just a balloon, which is actually really sad. Oh yeah, somebody's <laughs> birthday balloons escaped, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Right, come on, let's get yeah. moving, it's cold. So Katie, did you grow up in Hull itself, or, or near Hull? I actually grew up between Hull and, and the coast, so I lived in a small village called New Ellaby for about 20 years. The closest seaside town was Hornsey. So I've always lived very close to the to the edge, I suppose, but then Hull was the nearest city, so I, I have a lot of family from there and have quite a strong connection to the place, really, because it's where a lot of my early memories are kind of founded, I suppose. Yes, and what, and what are those early memories, and do they involve music? Well, yeah, although my folks aren't musicians themselves, they're huge appreciators of music, and they used to take me to gigs in Hull and, and festivals, things like that. From being really young, so that was obviously really important. Do you remember anyone that you saw at that time? Oh gosh, I remember going to Beverly Folk Festival and seeing Wiz Jones play and yeah. being totally blown away by that experience. You know, I, I think he only played for half an hour and I just wanted more. It was really special. So the guitar was already a, a thing. The guitar was starting to spark your interest. Well, I didn't pick up the guitar until I was 16 and. That was because my dad always had a guitar hanging around the house, but it was kind of a, an ornament, you know, rather than an instrument. But, um, you know, having the privilege of the experience of being able to sit on the front row and watch these guitarists enjoying themselves on stage was probably a big inspiration for me, I think. And were you also interested in the kind of history of Hull and the, and the heritage that seems to come out in some of your songs? Yeah, I think that probably comes from my family as well. I think my grandparents all worked in the kind of heavy industry sort of side of Hull. And what sort of things did they do? My granddad was an, an engineer. He worked in some of the old companies there, like Priestman's. It is like a classic kind of Hull staple um, engineering firm. And my dad worked there as well. My other granddad actually worked on the shipyards, welding and um, climbing inside ships and, and fixing them, which I found really exciting as a child. I think, you know, it's it's a very different place now and it's nice to have a glimpse into that through him. And did they tell you stories of the industrial past of Paul? Yeah, I think perhaps what I enjoyed grasping onto was probably the more emotional side of it, you know, the, I guess the, the pride that comes with the, that generation really enjoying the life that they had and creating these 
you know, my granddad creating, helping to create these amazing ships and the story that that involved as it kind of journeyed through its life and where it possibly ended up, I think kind of emotional aspect to it really got a hold of me as a yeah. child. some instrumental music which was for a film about the history of, of this area didn't you? Can you tell us about that? Yeah that's right, that was quite a recent project. I was commissioned to write a piece of music by the Yorkshire Film Archive and the Freedom Festival for this really wonderful archive footage and I got assigned this piece of footage which followed the building of the ship in Beverly and I think the chances got quite high that my granddad worked on that ship which wow. is really special. It's called Sterling Ash. actually some very large ships just behind you. There must be a deep channel of the Humber. There's two very large ships sailing at your back <laughs> as you stand with your guitar. It would be a lovely image. Yeah, I think they're coming out of the, the part of Immingham over there in, in Lincolnshire. So it's interesting to watch them when you're at the end of Spur and it feels like you could reach out and touch them. They come so close sometimes.
And while you were playing, I was just trying to visualise the shipbuilding process and then the launch at the end. And that ship's still making stately progress behind you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we should just say where we are because we're on, still on this spit of, of land, which is mostly sand to our left. But uh, on our right, it's quite a, a very flat, I should say, extremely flat. So you can see a long way. But there's pebbles and then there's bits of concrete and bits of building. Yeah, there seems to be a, a part of a brick wall that's washed <laughs> up and it's been eroded slightly by the sea. It's interesting thinking about the people who might have lived here as well, you know, lighthouse men and their families lived here for, for centuries and, and then they were later joined by people who worked the lifeboat station down at the end. And the interesting thing about that, and I think it sort of illustrates how stark it is around here, the RNLI crew are actually the only kind of full-time crew in the UK, professional paid posts here. And that's because it's so so dangerous, I suppose. And so remote. Absolutely. And, and so years ago, the lighthousemen and uh, the people who manned the lifeboats all lived here with their families. And actually, they, they even built a little school for the children on sperm. And obviously, a pub as well, naturally. <laughs> <laughs> but it must have been quite a bleak time in the winter here because you're totally exposed on all sides. So I imagine the weather just blows in and uh, you know it could have been pretty tough living here. That's right. I think actually the lighthouse that, that we're going to go and see later, the lighthouse men who looked after that one, they lived in the, the remains of the old one and that had some kind of sea defences built around it. And they actually put their house in the middle of those sea defences to try and mitigate some of that. But yeah, it's, it must have been such a bleak, bleak life because it's a sunny day now, but the wind's definitely whistling in, you know, so I don't know if your fingers are getting cold, but it is <laughs> quite, little, it's quite yeah. chilly, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> let's, let's keep walking. Great. So let's just talk a little bit about the music that has influenced you, or the music that you were listening to when you first started playing the guitar, that you thought, oh, I want to, I would love to be able to play like that. Mm. Who, who was it? I suppose it was a combination of people, but they all probably came from the similar late 60s, early 70s kind of folk revival sound, the singer-songwriters. I think my main man would probably be John Martin for his kind of atmosphere and musicality to his lyrics. And of course, his unique guitar style that really drew me in and opened the door to a lot of other music, really. Um, and how did you find him? Was he in your parents' record collection or did you find him online or...? I actually remember watching a, a documentary, I think, on the BBC, and it was all about different kinds of folk music. So there were people like Vashti Bunyan and uh, Roy Harper and folks like that. And then a video came on of John Martin, and I was totally blown away. And I, I kind of fell down the rabbit hole of that whole scene, really. And then, then my folks fell in love with that as well, and uh, we went on that journey together a little, which was really wonderful. as a career something that you decided on pretty early on or, or was it something that came later? It's a strange thing when I look back at that moment in time because I didn't really have a plan before I started. Just, we're just pausing for a second here because because there's a thing here that says high tide shelter. Please <laughs> use this shelter if you find yourself cut off by the tide. <laughs> and then there's another rather 
a bigger sign in red letters that says, have you left enough time to return before high tide? So is this where it gets cut off? That's right. So the bit that we've just crossed over, the wash there, that's where the tide breaches and it becomes a tidal island and we would be stuck here. <laughs> what are you <laughs> thinking? Uh, you know, just looking out to sea now, the tide looks quite a long way out, but what are you thinking if we... Uh, would we need to find shelter in this... Hopefully not. It's not very big, it. is it? But... No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a bus shelter uh, made of wood. Well, let's, get, let's keep going then. Let's, let's keep going with confidence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, you were talking about um, taking a decision to, uh, to become a professional musician. So was music always a, a career that you considered or was it something that came later? Yeah, absolutely not really. It's a strange thing when I think back to that time. I was at college, I was 18, and I didn't really have much of a plan. I'd always kind of tried hard at school, you know, and done all of that. And then uh, I didn't have this feeling that I wanted to go to uni or, or anything like that. But I'd been playing guitar for a couple of years by that point and really enjoying it. And I just started to kind of, uh, well, I was very grateful and very, very privileged to, to have the support from my parents to go and explore that world a bit more. And I would just play as much as I could, really, with their support. After a few years, I, uh, I, was, I found myself kind of doing it full time, which I'm very grateful for. And, um, so you just started to get gigs that people paid you for? That's right, yeah, and, and really fell in love with everything that, that comes with kind of writing songs and, and playing music. Full and you time. like the life on the road, do you? I do, yeah. I love the kind of that solitary sort of feeling of just popping in the car and pulling up, looking at things. And, yeah, it's a really wonderful life. I'm very happy. <laughs> well, we come to the top of the slight incline now, and there's some great big blocks of concrete, um, which must have been put there originally to sort of a sea defences of some kind, I think. And you can hear the sea coming back on our left here. I wonder if this is a place for another song. Have you got a song that, that would be good to sing here? Yes, I have, actually. In fact... We're kind of on a, I guess you could call it, a little bit of a high point here in a very flat landscape. Um, but I've got a song called Silence on the Hillside. Um, by no means is this a hillside, but um, it's a song about having a difference in perspective. I've kind of grown up among the flatlands over here and, and I now live over in West Yorkshire. It's a song that I wrote when I first moved there and I live on the side of a, a great big hill in the Air Valley. Was that a bit of a shock to the system? It was. Coming from here, because <laughs> I mean, here you can just see for miles, can't you? Because there's, right. no, there's, there's no features in the landscape, but do, do you like having hills? I do. It's, it was a very surprising feeling, kind of being in and amongst these great big hills and having the chance to go up to the top and look down into the valley. And, and I'd never really had that perspective on a landscape before, to see it kind of sprawling in front of me. So it's a song that I wrote when I, I wanted to kind of document that moment in time because it was when the world was getting a lot quieter and things were closing and, and I could kind of go up to the top of this hill and look at all the houses down in the valley bottom there and imagine all of the lives unfolding and it kind of made me feel a little bit closer to people um, so it's, that's what the song's about.
So between us and the sea now, there's this uh, bank covered in grasses and, and, uh, and plants, but facing the other way, we can see the sand flats, and it's much quieter here. We're sort of sheltered from the waves, aren't we, and, and the wind yeah, the on wind this side. Sea, yeah. And we're looking towards the Humber now, aren't we? Mm, yeah, that's right. So Hull is to our right, 
and uh, that's Lincolnshire over there, so the, the Humber splits the two counties. And on this side, it doesn't seem like the tide's coming in, but it may well be creeping up on us from behind that bank. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Well, this must be a great place, Katie, for wildlife, for particularly bird life, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's a really important location for migratory birds. And thousands of people come here to, to witness the thousands of birds land here and they're so exhausted that you can just walk through them and amongst them. There are also lots of deer on Spurn as well. As you can probably tell, there seem to be kind of different zones within it's very different here because we're now surrounded by some some grasses and um, and some plant life, aren't we here? Which where it was very barren before. That's so right. there's, it, it seems as though the plant life might be quite interesting here as well. Yeah, it's a it's a registered nature reserve here, so they really try and protect these different different sections within Spam. Although they've kind of I think abandoned the the, uh, the effort to kind of keep Spam as it is as such, you know, in terms of the coastal erosion. They're really trying to protect the wildlife that's on it. So it's that delicate balance of trying to, to protect what you have, but also being aware that there's only a certain amount that you can do that's, that's viable, really. And then we can hear other people talking behind us, which I assume uh, means that it's quite a popular spot for people to come and walk, particularly on a nice, a nice day like this. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, it's a really nice... I think it's three miles, three miles long, so it's a six-mile walk, and especially, yeah, exactly, on a day like today, it's... Um, well, this looks like gorse here by the side of the path, and there are strange sort of formations on the top of the gorse there. What, what do you think those are? Yeah, they look like some kind of um, cocoon or something. They've been wrapped in something very fine, and there are lots of Lots of tiny things making small movements around. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like cotton wool actually, wrapped round, sort of, wrapped round some of the branches. Thousands of caterpillars inside. Do you think? Something. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be alive with butterflies, just here, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, there are there are lots of these little pockets that I can see now. All over the glass. Oh yeah, there's some over there as well, isn't there? Yeah. Oh. What's wonderful, Katie, is that the landscape just keeps changing as we walk down this narrow spit of, of land. And so we're approaching the black and white striped lighthouse and a beach has opened up on our right and I can see a pier which is sticking out from the far end of the, of the point here. Mm. And there's some cows, some cattle, highland cattle on wow. our left. Yeah. <laughs> because there's a bit of green between us and the sea on our left and the water's coming in now on our right yeah. but it does it just changes doesn't it it does i think that's what i fell in love with as a, as a child um this this feeling that you can walk only two or three miles and experience so many different landscapes within that and you never quite know what you're going to find around the corner which is really kind of inspiring i suppose that's why i kind of write a lot of music inspired by this sort of a landscape because it is very intriguing and what are you music. getting inspiration from at the moment what's your, your new project well i 
I'm very excited at the moment because I'm just waiting on a guitar to be made. Um, an amazing, amazing luthier in North Yorkshire called Tom Sands is currently building a guitar for me, which I'm very lucky um, to, to, to say. Um, and this guitar is, we, we went down and we went to choose the woods and we've chosen some ancient English Fenland black oak, which is over 5,000 years old and it's been sunk. And quite often farmers around in Norfolk plough up these great big ancient pieces of oak. And Tom is, uh, is creating a guitar for me out of that wood and also some ancient sinker cypress from North Carolina. And so there's this kind of really interesting ancient feel to this, this guitar and I'm really intrigued to kind of write some songs that are inspired by this kind of disappearing nature of the Holderness Coast, just further up from where the Finland Oak is from. And I think there are supposed to be about 29 villages that have disappeared just off the Holderness Coast since Roman times, which is quite a number really. And, and I just want to sort of write some songs in that theme really with this guitar. So that's what I'm focusing on um, in the next few months, just thinking about this. And I wonder if you're going to be able to sort of just draw something out of that wood because, you know, to have wood of that antiquity mm. under your fingertips would be inspiring in itself, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be quite a magical instrument in the yeah. end and it's very intriguing to think about the music that might, that might be made on it over the years and think about the life that it's already had. Yeah. So we're right underneath the lighthouse now and uh, it's an imposing structure. Uh, painted in bands of black and white and with the big light at the top. Presumably they don't use the lighthouses anymore because navigation's improved so much. That's right, this lighthouse is actually um, now a museum that you can visit every so often. It was built in the, the late 1800s. Yeah, well, there's some beautiful. people having a picnic outside it, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you might sing for us here. Have you got a final song for us? Yeah, I've got a song um, called Shannon Road, which is... a uh, a song celebrating the city. It's just really a kind of collection of memories from my from time. Hull. Yeah, my time spent growing up in Hull with with my grandma on uh, on Shannon Road. <laughs>
apples on the tree in the garden that was yours are all falling to the floor That was fantastic. Thank you so much. It's such a, a nostalgic song, isn't it, really? Do you, do you feel a nostalgia for Hull now you're looking at it back from West Yorkshire? Yeah, I do, in fact. I, um, I read a book recently which was Julian Green's memoir of his time in Paris, and, and I remember him writing in there that he said, um, when you move away from somewhere, you can kind of see it with a different clarity. And a lot of these songs I wrote when I... I moved to West Yorkshire and I was able to kind of view this landscape in such a kind of crystallised way. I don't think I would have perhaps been able to write the songs had I been in the location. Mm. Well, it's been amazing to come to this place with you today, not just to hear your beautiful songs, but to see this extraordinary landscape. Thank you so much for bringing us. Thank you. It's been a real treat to explore. We really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. And if you'd like us to go on making more of these podcasts, please support us by making a contribution through Patreon or by buying us a coffee. You can do both things at folkonfoot.com slash support us. And we really appreciate any donation, no matter how small. We love making Folk on Foot, and with your help, we'd like to go on making it forever.